Father, we hear that invitation today to come if we are weary, if we're heavy laden, if we're a sinner, and we all qualify for that one. I pray, Lord, that as we do our best this morning to bring what we know of ourselves to what we know of you, as we do our best this morning to draw near to you, that you would draw near to us, because you promised. We don't believe that any of us are here by accident this morning, so we pray for your purposes today. You know where each one of us are, you know where we live, and you know where our heart is today. So speak to us as we break open our chests. We ask that you would massage yourself and your truth into us. Father, I pray today that especially you would pique our hearts, provoke us toward loving one another and connecting with one another. We're too busy for it, and yet, Lord, we're too busy not to have it, and we need it, and we pray that today you would do that in us and among us and through us. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, um, good morning. If you're visiting with us, my name is Ed, and I'm one of the pastors here. Why church? Look, even if you're not connected spiritually, and I, I'm so honored that some of you are here who are in that place. You're not really, you're, you're searching it out. But you, you know why we're here, a, a good bit of it. So, we come to church to worship God. At Gateway, we believe that the Bible is God's Word. And every week, we break open the Bible. That's one of the why church questions for us. But today, we're going to look at what I believe to be the most forgotten part of the answer to that question, why we go to church. It's critical. It's critically important. You're going to hear this morning just how important this is. I think it's super critically important for those of us who live in Northern Virginia. We are extremely busy northern suburban Americans. We don't have time for this, but you're too busy not to have it. So we're going to talk about what might be the primary reason that we go to church, and it's a doozy. So before we jump in, let's pray real quick. Father, as always, we need you to speak, to break open your word, and to break open our hearts. And honestly, Lord... We don't want this to just be another day. We need you to connect us to one another, and that's our prayer this morning. Please, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I bet some of you can relate to one of Flannery O'Connor's in-laws. Flannery O'Connor is perhaps the greatest Southern novelist of the 20th century. And she wrote that one of her in-laws started attending church because, I quote here, the service was so horrible, he knew there must be something else there to make people come. Why do we go to church? According to a recent Pew Research survey, people are asking this question with increasing regularity and are answering it in the negative increasingly. The reasons survey respondents gave for skipping church regularly were 38% of us said that we practice faith in other ways. So can I worship God out in nature? Of course you can. Can't I worship God with a cup of coffee on Sunday morning? Yes, you can. I was particularly troubled by number five. They don't like the sermons. Thank you. Someone in the, in the nine o'clock service said, amen. 
Look at number two. 28% of the people who said they skip church because they're not believers. That means that 72% of the people in an American survey who don't go to church are believers. And of that 70% who believe in religion and don't go to church, six in 10 of those are Christians. So 70% of the people who don't go to church at all claim to be believers. Six in 10 of those are Christians. And listen, more than, sorry for all the statistics cascading on one another, but more than half of those are women. That means it's not just a guy problem. To get the whole picture, we've got to add something else to this skipping church trend, don't we? People who claim to be regular church attenders, people who are connected to church, are going less and less than they used to. Fifteen years ago, the person who felt committed to a church attended church on average 3.2 times per Sunday. So 15 years ago, if we surveyed this, we took attendance every week, you would be here on average, we averaged you all together, you would be here if you're a regular, committed, I'm in a gateway, you would be here 3.2 times. But now, today, it's 1.8. I haven't seen reliable research on why this is happening, but anecdotally, I've read several articles, and there are a lot of articles, church people have noticed this trend, People are commenting on why this is the case. And, and I've seen the four primary reasons that I've seen, and this is going to make, make sense to you. I had two people come up to me after the 9 o'clock service and say, you nailed us. I wasn't trying to nail anyone. I'm just stating the obvious facts. Number one, work travel schedules. You leave on Saturday morning for the week in Los Angeles or Portland or Saudi Arabia. Secondly, we have much more discretionary income. Some of you, when your kids are off this fall for election, you'll get Monday and Tuesday off. You guys will go to Disney World. I grew up in a small town in South Carolina. My mom was a single parent, taught school. If you'd said to my mom, hey, we get a weekend off, let's go to Disney World, she would have said, they law, are you crazy? I don't know what they law is. It's just something she always said. <laughs> if I said to my mother, let's go to Myrtle Beach, are you kidding me? We don't have the money for that. But we have more discretionary income now. We can get away. Third, weekend children's sports schedule. The travel basketball team, the travel softball team, gymnastics, swimming team. Fourth, busyness. Just general busyness. We are frenetically busy. Honestly, there are compelling reasons not to go to church. Why should we be different? Why church? I want to read a rock and roll passage of scripture this morning. This is a paragraph from the book of Hebrews. If you were to graph the book of Hebrews, it would go something like this. It would start here at a really kind of epic place, and it sort of stays pretty epic, and then it rises and rises and rises, and we get to our passage, and it's the peak, it's the pinnacle. And then after that, it doesn't trail off, but it kind of goes up and down to the end. But this passage, this is like the summation. When you read the therefore in this passage, well, I'm going to explain in a few minutes what the therefore is there for, and it's epic. So we need to read this passage because it speaks to us. In this passage, the author is going to give us three life challenges. These are the three epic things that you and I need to be doing. Now, if you have an older NIV translation, it'll have like four main verbs, but it's really in the original, it's only three. There are three main ideas here. We're going to focus on the third one, but I'm going to take you through the first two just to set up how rich the neighborhood is that we're in. And we're going to be reading 
Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And if you would, let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And some of you may know when Jesus died, there was a curtain between the holy of holies and the, the rest of the temple area. And that curtain was torn. This author is making allusion to that. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You may be seated. So the author here commands three essential actions, three movements, if you will, that must characterize our lives if we're going to grow into the people that we long to be. We're going to especially focus on the third action, as I said, but I'm going to talk about the first two briefly and highlight them. So the first one is to approach. So here are the three, and I'm going to ask you to do something obnoxious, because when you leave today, I want you to remember this. So we're going to be talking about approaching, clinging, and provoking. Those are our three actions. So I want you to do that with me. I want you to say, to approach, and raise your hands. That was terrible. Let's do that again. To approach. All right. To cling. And to provoke. So first, if you're the kind of person that underlines things in your Bible, underline the phrase, let us draw near to God. The author gives us two primary reasons we can draw near to God. Reason number one, because the blood of Jesus has opened a new and living way. And by the way, that word opened is often translated started or inaugurated. It means Jesus started something brand new and we get to take advantage of it. Let's do it. Let's draw near to God. Let's approach. Secondly, we have a great high priest representing us before God. We'll say more about that in a minute. Then the author tells us how to draw near with a sincere heart first, and secondly, with the full assurance that faith brings. I want you to notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, let's draw near to God, knowing all things related to God because we've got it down pat. He doesn't say, let's draw near to God, feeling really, really close to God. That's evidently not part of the formula. Finally, the author gives us two things that are true about us personally, which enable us to draw near. The first, our hearts have been sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And secondly, our bodies have been washed with the pure water. He's referring here to baptism. And this means baptism is a public declaration, a way of saying, I'm in. I'm in with Jesus. Here's what you need to know about all of this. The author has just spent... Six chapters of this book explaining who Jesus is. Really, he spent the last ten and a half chapters on this topic because the first three chapters also tell us about who Jesus is. In the first chapter, he told us, listen to this, that Jesus was one, the great and final voice of God. Secondly, Jesus is the Son of God. Third, and I quote here, Jesus is the exact representation of his being. And fourth, and I quote again, he's the one through whom God made the universe, and that's in the first paragraph. 
Then in the rest of chapter 1, we find out that Jesus is greater than all the angels. In chapter 2, he marvels that such a being got squeezed into human skin and became just like us. Then in chapter 3, he tells us that Jesus is greater than Moses, in effect, greater than the law, and that's a big deal. Then beginning in chapter 4, he builds an elaborate argument explaining how Jesus is really the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament rituals and symbols in worship. And he concludes that argument in the section right before the one I just read a second ago. So here's, in effect, what he's saying. He says, hey, remember the old sacrificial system in the Old Testament? You know, we were cutting animals, and we were putting them on the altar, and we were saying prayers. And then once a year, we devoted an entire weekend, and especially one day, to this elaborate ceremony where we lay a, a perfect lamb on the altar, and we acknowledge our sins before God, and we kill that lamb on behalf of our sins. And this was God's audiovisual aid to demonstrate to the people just how costly sin is. You know it. You see it in your relationships. You see the effects of sin and what it does to other people, what it does to yourself, what it does to your connection to God. But God wanted to remind us of that, so he built this system in, which was this constant reminder that sin is very, very costly. And here's what the author of Hebrews says. That whole system pointed to Jesus. And Jesus was God's sacrifice. So all those times you went and sacrificed every year and then every time you sinned, you don't have to do that anymore because God placed his own son on the altar and his sacrifice, that was Jesus. Wow! Thunderous applause. Then he talked about the priesthood and he said, this is rock and roll, you know it. The priesthood, you know how special they are. They represent us to God. They're awesome. And this was God's audiovisual aid to demonstrate to us how needy we are and secondly, how holy God is. And he says, Jesus was the, all of that. He's the great high priest. All of that pointed to Jesus. He's our ultimate representative to God. Thunderous applause and standing ovation. Then he says, therefore, six and a half chapters of that, and then comes our passage where the author says, therefore, in other words, because of all of that, because of what Jesus did, because of who he is, can you see the neighborhood we're in? This is like the high point of everything we believe. This is the summation of all of it, really. In light of everything that Jesus is and all that God has done, here are three essential things that you and I must do. Therefore, approach. Yep. Secondly, cling. Now, clinging is a kind of a desperate idea, isn't it? Philip Yancey, in his little book, Church, Why Bother? He admits it, it used to bother him when people would suggest that the church was really for the weak. He remembers thinking with a kind of embarrassment, what he thought and what he felt when someone would suggest that church is just a crutch for the lame and broken. At some point in his life, he realized this is, in fact, the church's greatest strength. Yes, it's for the lame and broken. It's a gathering of people who readily admit what is true about all of us. We need crutches. In fact, most of us need a wheelchair. Church is for those who need a crutch. Church is for the desperate which means church is literally for everyone. 
Now, if you're the kind who underlines things, I want you to underline the phrase in your Bible, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Or, as the English Standard Version puts it, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Okay, listen, I know some of you come to church, and I've talked to a, a couple of you, you come to church and you think, wow, I'm just not like those other people. I struggle with doubt. I don't have it all together with my faith like those other people. And you need to know this morning, there are no other people. There is no category of people who have it all together. We all have to cling. Clinging takes effort, but it is essential effort for all of us. We have to cling to the hope we profess. And this doesn't mean close your eyes, don't ask any questions, you just have to believe. No, the person and work of Jesus are real historical facts. And weirdly and mysteriously, those facts still reverberate with power in our lives today. And that can stand up to your questions and your concerns and your investigation. But once you've experienced the hope that, that God offers, then cling to that hope. Hold fast unswervingly. Don't let doubt derail you. Don't let difficulty throw you off course. In the face of mystery, cling. And then the author tells us why it's worth it. Because he's faithful. And he'll do what he promised. Finally, that brings us to the third charge. And this is where we meet the church. This is the focus of our comments this morning. The third essential action is to provoke. In light of everything Jesus has done, approach God, cling to the hope we profess, and provoke one another. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. If you're the kind who underlines things in your Bible, underline that. As you may have guessed, that word translated spur is a very strong word and is sometimes translated provoke. It's used just like our English word provoke, by the way. It's often used negatively as in to provoke someone to anger or to provoke some bad action by someone. The author intends to stir us up by using this word. Let us poke, let us prod, let us be lovingly irritating. Let us do whatever we must to move one another toward love and good deeds. So I want you to notice three things about this. Number one, it takes effort. It takes consideration. At its root, that word consider means to observe. We need to be watching one another. We need to be active in our consideration of one another. This is more than just showing up, although we do have to show up. Secondly, I want you to notice the direction toward which we are to provoke one another. It is toward love and good deeds. And thirdly, I want you to notice that we are to do this to one another. Evidently, this is not a direction we're going to consistently head if we're alone. I'm going to say that again. Evidently, this is not a direction that we're going to consistently head if we're alone. My love and my goodness are a group project. Trust me. The Christian therapist Paul Tournier once said, there are two things we cannot do alone. One is to be married. The other is to be a Christian. The author of Hebrews gets this. And to ensure that we get it, he adds another note, doesn't he? So let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This is one of the main reasons we go to church. The Bible tells us to encourage one another to love one another, to pray for one another, to instruct one another, to rebuke and exhort one another, and to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And none of those things can be done alone. 
You cannot love one another alone. You cannot encourage one another alone. And you cannot observe one another and consider how you might provoke the other toward love and goodness without gathering together. This is also why we do small groups. You don't go to church to be inspired by the sermon. I hope you are occasionally inspired, but let's be honest. You can listen to more talented communicators online anytime you want. Nobody say a word. You don't go to church to be moved by the music. I hope you're moved, but let's be honest. You can listen to better music in your car on your way out of here today. You come to church because you need to be provoked. And you need to provoke others. It is so essential to our faith that it is one of the three therefores that flow out of what Jesus did. Let me offer an aside to those of you who are parents that still have children living at home with you. Some of your kids are gone. Some of you do not have children. Those of you who have kids that are still living at home with you and those of you who are about to have kids. My mother's name was Clem. She was a deeply religious woman who loved Jesus. She read through the Bible every year that I knew her. I remember waking up in the mornings and coming in for breakfast before school, and she's at the kitchen table reading her Bible every morning. We went to church always. When I was little, I grew up in the Bible Belt in South Carolina, and I went to a church that we had Sunday school before church, and then we had church. And you used to get a pen in the Sunday school that I went to if you came to church every week. I got six pens in a row. My mother, more than once, I remember her saying to me, you can throw up at church just as easily as you can here. Now, I'm not recommending that as a parenting strategy, but I'm just telling you the degree to which it was a priority in our home. Here's the thing. It built something into my life. And there was a time when I left my faith. And I want you to know the truth. The church and the nature of the church is the therefore that led me back to the other two therefores. Don't miss that, parents. So, two challenges for you this morning. Challenge number one. I want us to set a church attendance goal for ourselves this year. If you are in the 1.8 crowd... I want us to set a church attendance goal for ourselves this year. This fall, let's try to get that to 2-5. I had a a man after the 9 o'clock service come up to me like this. Boy Scouts, gymnastics, travel soccer, two kids travel soccer, and he added two more things. I was already dizzy at that point. I said, yeah, that is tough. What do I do? And I'm a man of God. So, I told him the truth. I have no idea. But, (laughs) we're supposed to do something. We're not just supposed to surrender to that. Because if we do, we're making all of those things the priority. Let's set a church attendance goal for ourselves this fall. Let's be present more. Hey, a little word to those of you who are in the 3.2 crowd. God bless you, and God honors that. For us, I would say, let's try to be more present. That brings me to our second goal. 
I want us to be this fall, I want us to be especially mindful, especially observant, especially considerate this month. Who we need to provoke toward love and good deeds. Listen, I said earlier to the nine o'clock service, if you're on your way out and you look over into the lounge area on the other side of the fireplace and you see somebody curled up in the corner in a fetal position weeping, maybe you want to go over and say, how can I pray for you? Or bring them a glass of water. You know, don't just walk out to your car and say, that really was a weird person. Did you see that? It was so strange. Let's be observant. Let's figure out how we can provoke one another toward love and good deed. It's why we're here. It's what we're doing here. So, it's spurring time. I'm serious. It's lab work. Now, I know that uh, the 40% of you who are introverted, you're terrified. And I'm, I'm going to give you some helps, and I'm sorry. But we're going to do this. One of the helps is I'll stand down front, and you can come down and speak to me and say what troubled you or what you enjoyed about this morning or just say thank you. We're also going to have a group of people over here, a prayer team, that are ready and willing to pray for any of you. The service is not over. This is seriously a part of our service today. You can grab someone and have them pray for you over here. What I would greatly love most of you to do is to find someone near you or someone that you noticed on the way in or someone that you haven't spoken to in a while and go provoke them. How you doing? What's going on? Some of you may know who you need to provoke and how and why. Others of you are visiting for the first time and you're thinking, what in the world are we doing here? But you're here for a reason. You didn't come by accident. So I'll give you some little handles to make this easier on us. You can go as a group if you need to. Teenagers, go with your parents, roll your eyes, do whatever you need to do. Listen in, tell them how much later that it bugged you. Or find another teenager. Go to someone and say, what's the most important thing you have to do this week? Okay, I'll be thinking about you. If something else occurs to you, say the something else. And then they tell you. Now, those of you who are really brave, I'm not this brave, but those of you who are really brave, you can be like my wife. My wife, if you talk to her, my wife is super sweet. You're going to come to her. She's going to say, what's the most important thing you got? And you're going to tell her, and she's going to say, can I pray for you? When she first started doing that, I used to think, you mean right here in front of Jesus, out in public and everything? If you're brave enough, do that. We're going to provoke one another right now. It's lab work. Years ago, I read a book by a pastor of a church in South America, and he did a sermon one Sunday on loving one another. So I'm telling you right now, count your blessings. This is just today. He did a sermon on loving one another, and at the end of the sermon, he said, okay, I want you to stand up and love one another. He'd given them some stuff in the sermon to do, so they stood up and they did their thing. He came in the next week, and he stood up for his sermon time, and he said, I don't think we got it last week. Love one another. And he did it for 13 weeks. And the church exploded. <laughs> because people need to be loved. We need to be provoked. We don't go in this direction unless we're provoked. That's why we're here. So it's spur time. You've got six minutes. All right, let's stand and spur one another. 
In his book, Church, Why Bother, Philip Yancey talks about his journey away from church and back to church and away from church and his difficulties with church. He begins to turn the corner and at the start of that he says this, what changed my attitude toward church? A skeptic might say I lowered my expectations somewhere along the way or perhaps I got used to church just as after numerous false starts I got used to opera. Yet I sense something else at work. Church has filled in me a need that could not be met in any other way. St. John of the Cross once wrote, quote, the virtuous soul that is alone is like the burning coal that is alone. It will grow colder rather than hotter. I believe he's right. Christianity is not a purely intellectual internal faith. It can only be lived in community. Perhaps for this reason, I have never entirely given up on church. At a deep level, I sense that church contains something I desperately need. Whenever I abandon church for a time, I find that I am the one who suffers. My faith fades, and the crusty shell of lovelessness grows over me again. I grow colder rather than hotter, and so my journeys away from church have always circled back inside. So this next year, our theme for the year is going to be deeper, wider. We're going to talk about how we take our lives deeper in our connection with God and, and how we allow God to expand our influence. I think for some of us, the start of that is going to be our connection to church, here or somewhere. I think it's going to be us diving in. And that's been my prayer for us this week. Again, forewarned, September is going to be about connecting. So every week when you come in, there are going to be name tags back there, and we're going to do something stupid. I promise I won't do it twice every week, but it's going to be about connecting because when we get a whole bunch of people together at 11 o'clock, we all sit together, that's a crowd. That's not church. And if we sing songs, that's a crowd singing songs. That's not church. And if we listen to some guy talk at us, that's a crowd listening to a guy talk at us. So we're going to be church. All right. Good morning, Gateway. If you're new to Gateway, welcome again. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, God, for this day. Father, we thank you that you can take whatever we can give, Father, and multiply it and do great things for you. We pray that this morning. We thank you for those that are giving out of plenty, and we thank you for those that are giving out of little. God, we thank you for this sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. Have a blessed Sunday.